Welcome to Bootleg Avocado, bringing you stories in the food and cannabis startup world. I'm your host, Mario Rodriguez, and we're back with another episode. This time, we talk ice cream, more specifically, Cloud Creamery. So they're out of the East Coast, out of the Boston area. Um, they're probably the first um, artisanal edible uh, type of company uh, focused on ice cream. And I'm sure they're going to go and produce other products. So please listen to David Youssef Zadeh, CEO of Cloud Creamery. Welcome to Bootleg Avocado. In this episode, we chat with David Yusef Zadeh from Cloud Creamery. Hey, David. Hey, Mario. Thanks for having me. How's, you, how's your weekend so far? Weekend is great. Thank you. We're uh, we're prepping for for a dinner tonight downtown Boston. So yeah, tell taking me a break. What uh, is it like a, a savory dinner, ice cream dinner? Or what? It's a it's a savory dinner. It's infused. So we do uh, cannabis infused dinners uh, as part of our business concept. Um, really trying to you know bring a different element to um, elevating cannabis uh, in its context. You know I think our, our company stands on edibles. So mm-hmm. this is a, a concept where. We infuse every course differently and really bring um, some savory elements into kind of the cannabis edible realm. Interesting. Okay. Um, so let's let's we'll we'll pivot back to that, but let's talk. Sure. Uh, give us your thirty second pitch on Cloud Creamery. Sure. So Cloud Creamery is an edible company based out of Framingham, Massachusetts. Uh, our goal is really to bring real food into the edible scene. There's you know lots of candy, lots of high fructose corn corn syrup, artificial flavorings, artificial colorings on the market right now. And we really want to use our skill set, our background to bring real food with high quality cannabis for, for people. Love it. Okay. Um, so before we get into everything, we always should, we always do a um, little icebreaker or like an MPP question. So sure. um, it's a, I have a deck of cards in here and each one has a different um, question. And the way I want you to answer it is um, more or less in a, well, definitely in a, in a, from a personal perspective, not so much in, reference to your 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 company your product so um just tell me when to stop shuffling and i'll pick one stop all right okay question is what should people better understand about you Ooh, that's a good one uh i think one thing that that you know relates to both business and and my you know myself is we, I am constantly on the search of improvement and whether that's through education, whether that's through experiences, whether it's through both, uh, I'm a firm believer that, you know, books and, and manuals and, and, and podcasts can only teach you so much. You know, you really have to get out in the world and deal with kind of firsthand experiences. And there's, there's lots of things that, that, um, you know, books can't teach you. So for me, you know, I want people to understand that when we talk about cannabis, when I talk about use of cannabis, it's really coming from a wellness perspective. I think, you know, something that we challenge uh, constantly is this, this Hollywood persona of what, you know, individuals um, that consume cannabis on a daily basis are how they're viewed, you know, how their, how their day goes, how their, what their goals and aspirations are. I think Hollywood's done a a great job of promoting kind of the stoner vibe. uh, And we're here to communicate that, 
you know, it definitely takes time. You have to find the right strain, the right dose, the right method that works for you. But uh, we're, we're high performance individuals from, from an education, from, you know, we're homeowners, we're, we have graduate degrees, we are, we're striving for more constantly um, to really, you know, find what works and help communicate that so that others can help find, you know, what works for them easier. Great. And then let us know how, so how'd you get into um, not just, not just the cannabis uh, community, but more in just food in general? Sure. I grew up, uh, I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, my father is Persian. My mother um, is, is uh, Canadian American. And we grew up in a house where my parents cooked from scratch. So they, they weren't chefs. They weren't both, um, parents, or both parents. Yeah. My dad, my, and my dad's cooking background is very different. My mom's was more traditional American, though she made delicious food. It was kind of probably more straightforward to, to people that grew up, you know, in the early eighties. Uh, my father being Persian, you know, a lot of Persian food takes time. Yeah. They are dishes that are, you know, served over rice. So in general, I'd say they're more stew. What Americans would refer to as a, as a stew um, and so he'd be, you know, salting eggplant on the counter for two days and, and flipping them and teaching me. And it was fascinating. And I grew up, my two older brothers were both, you know, really strong athletes. They all played. My brother, Adam literally played, he was in a sport all year, indoor soccer to swimming in the summer and everything in between. And I, I wanted to, you know, bake cookies with my mom. I was not interested. I, I played ping pongs. My dad was semi-professional ping pong player in his, oh, wow. in his, uh, yeah, in his late teens and early twenties. Um, so we, you know, I, I, I was, I was always watching the traveling chefs of Europe on PBS. I was watching these, you know, 50 year old French guys break down live scallops when I was eight and nine years old. And my brothers were like, what the hell are you doing? Like, why don't you come outside and play in the backyard? I was like, no, this is, you know, this is who I am. And so I used to record them on VHS, you know, this is pre, pre remote for a VCR sort of to stand up and, uh, block off the commercials and wait with my finger on the, on the record button so that we didn't have to record all the all the nonsense. And, uh, and I would go back and watch those episodes and write down the recipe. So I wasn't creating my own, but I was really interested in their process. And I was fascinated by food. And I think ultimately it's because I love to eat and my parents, that my parents saw that. So on my 10th birthday, my, my parents were divorced this time. My, my mom bought me a book. Um, excuse me. My mom bought me a recipe uh, box to hold all the recipes I'd copied down. And my dad bought me a, a, a book on how to bake bread. And I still have both of them. So they were more like, hey, you know, he's seriously interested in this. Let's see where it goes. My mom, you know, for Christmas would buy me a how to make bubblegum kit. And I, I trashed one of her favorite pans. I'll never forget <laughs> that. But, but she knew, you know, she knew that it was, it was something I was interested in. And I think, you know, as an adult now, if you can find children that have an outlet where they're really, you know, passionate about, you should, you should feed it as long as it's healthy for, for, for them and for everyone around them. So yeah. uh, I, was, I was very fortunate. I, you know, my parents were really into it. And so... Um, I kept cooking. I had a, you know, worked in two different restaurants, uh, throughout high school. And when it came time to graduate high school, it was, it was, I was, I had many, 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 many things to learn, but I had like a reasonable grasp on how to, you know, step in and apply to work at a saute station or work at a, you know, very kind of, um, home style restaurant kind of, kind of, you know, Lexington's not exactly the food Mecca. Mm -hmm. Um, but I knew that I could step in and, and yeah, and I was coachable. So, I, I went to culinary school and just found an amazing group of people that literally all loved what I loved. And it was just from there kind of, you know, took off just different, different gigs, different, different dinner parties. I ended up finishing school and, and working at the, uh, the Ritz Carlton right outside of Atlanta. Yeah. And the gentleman, uh, my chef there, Ruben Garcia, who's now the executive chef of Augusta National, runs a master's tournament every year, mm. uh, kind of just took me under his wing. He was a, he was a monster in the best way. He was a, 
up at 5 a.m. there till midnight, just crushing it. He was just no, no bullshit. No, you know, um, did everything from scratch. He butchered all the meat in the restaurant. He was just like teaching me to take pride in my stuff. And it kind of, kind of kept going from there. Yeah. So I, I shared a similar type of upbringing. So I, I definitely looked at, so watching TV and, you know, for me, I recorded the, the PBS type of um, cooking shows that were there. And yeah. Re-recorded like, it, wrote it yeah. down in notes and, and kind of uh, tried to, you know, recreate everything. So I definitely. Super cool. Yeah. Graham Kerr and all these. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really, I didn't really, I didn't watch a ton of Julia Child. She was on. I don't think. Her style wasn't really what I was what I was geared towards. My mom was already kind of doing a good amount of that stuff, so I was looking at some people that were making sauces and like the the early Emerald show. You know what I mean, like the early, early, early stuff. So yeah, that's that's cool, man. That's uh, it's rare it's rare to hear for men because because for 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 boys in the '80s, it right. wasn't exactly you know a, a viable option. Like chefs didn't become quote unquote rock stars till Anthony Bourdain was doing stuff and Mario Batali and a lot of these guys who were like. Mm-hmm you know, early food network, uh, influencers that were starting to kind of put it on the map. So of course, when you were your first generation American, I'm first generation American exactly. So myself as well. So that's, that's exactly it. So like we, we were, we grew up like, okay, you need a profession, you need to learn, you know, but my parents are very supportive as far as like, Oh, he likes to cook. Okay. So, he'll, you know, we'll kind of do that for entertain himself to do that. But yeah, you know, they never really thought I was going to actually like go to culinary school and become a chef yeah. that stuff until I got, I actually like, <laughs> yeah it's the same same yeah same thing yeah. but what, right you, on. what you said was actually pretty uh about your parents supporting like your passion that's and that's 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 exactly how like upbringing should be you know regardless agreed. Of yeah agreed parents or whatever else like you need to support your kids passions whatever it might be if it might change every month or whatnot like but it's a different experience for them it's, it's they learn a lot yeah yeah and i think you know i also grew up with a lot of people who who are wonderful humans who didn't have much direction and ended up getting a basic business degree and literally just went to college and goofed around for four years and and you know and, and that's okay i mean it's not again it's not i'm not it's not a dig on them but i'm saying if you have the opportunity for youth to to find an avenue that they can put their energy into and it's going to be productive and rewarding you know throughout life you should absolutely feed it yeah so what was the most surprising or like awakening that you had when you when you jumped into the food world or the culinary side i think one of the early ones was you know obviously schedule the the dedication the discipline the commitment i think i think that you know as, as I'm 35. So seeing young chefs right now and hearing their like attitude and arrogance and concept, it's like, guys, like you clearly didn't go through the same process because, you know, I had people that were breaking me down and, and not, not really just to make sure I understood and respected what they were trying to do. And if I wasn't, not that I could replicate it, but if I wasn't striving to do that, then I needed to go, then I wasn't welcome. And it was just that simple. Again, it wasn't necessarily that I had to like shadow them or repeat it, but if I wasn't treating literally slicing my tomatoes or making fresh mozzarella or making a souffle in the same respectable process mm-hmm. that, that I wasn't, I wasn't invited. And, uh, and Ruben Garcia really taught me that I, I was working at the Ritz Carlton East of Atlanta and it's on this big, um, I, I don't even know. I want to say it's like six or 7,000 acre, like just massive forest and lots of golf courses, big, big, big golf destination area. And uh, the land, it's called the Ritz-Carlton on Reynolds Plantation. So the land was owned by Mercer Reynolds. And Mercer Reynolds used to co-own the Texas Rangers baseball team with, at the time, Governor Bush. And so when he became president, 
he came out. So I, Ruben invited me to go cook dinner for President Bush at 19. And it was like, you know, fucking make sure you shave, make sure you have your Sharpies, make sure you have two Sharpies, make sure you have two pens, make sure you go the extra step times 10, you know, make sure no matter what, I don't care. If you get a flat tire, make sure you have a bike in the back so you can get here, like figure it out to make sure you're here. I don't want any excuses, wake up early, everything. And I think, you know, I, I literally quit. I used to have to make all the souffles for, for our restaurant. And I, I literally quit that job because I couldn't sleep because I was having nightmares of burning souffles every night. Yeah, imagine those, those uh, panic nightmares are yeah. constant. And when they're consistent, it's, yeah, it's just like, it's bad for your body. So I, I left there, so, you know, very extremely, again, and I'm talking about it, you know, 16 years later, I'm, I'm extremely thankful and I would do it again. But as a 19-year-old, I, I mean, I was, I was getting crushed. And uh, I think when I left there, you know, I, I ended up um, going back to regular college in, in, in Minnesota, which is where I'm from, from Minneapolis. Yeah. And I remember going to school and getting a job in a restaurant. Yeah. And I still had that mentality. I was questioning the people. I was the new guy. And I was like, yo, why are you, what? Like, seriously, clean, clean up after yourself. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, like setting a standard. And they, they were a little upset at first, but my, my, my comments weren't to put them down. It was to make our restaurant better. And I think, and again, I learned a lot from those people too. Just, but like in general, that mentality stuck is what, is what I'm trying to communicate. So, um, I think that was the biggest surprise, right? When you step into the adult world and realize what it really takes to be successful. Okay. So let's take a quick little break. Uh, when we come back, let's talk about cloud creamery and how you, how you started. Got it. Welcome back to Bootleg Avocado. We have David Yusef uh, Zadeh. Uh, <laughs> any, any practice a name? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all right. It takes, takes years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, David, let's jump into your shift from the culinary world since obviously you're, you're still in it. Um, you know, food is, is life at this point, obviously. Right. Um, but where did you kind of make the shift into cannabis? How did you do it? And, you know, why, why this concept more than anything? Sure. I mean, I, you know, I, I think I was a pretty average, you know, high school kid where, you know, I, I smoked a few joints, you know, here and there with friends and, and in college, but I was, it was never my, you know, uh, daily kind of weekly yeah. concept. It was, stri- it was, yeah, it was a strictly social use. It, I was, I was never using it for health benefits. Uh, I mean, mental health, yes, but, uh, you know, just de-stressing, but a lot of people were drinking and doing blow in restaurants and I was definitely more of a, I'd rather smoke a joint and, you know, get some, get some tacos late night. So, um, I start when I I was 26, is that right? Yeah. 2011. Um, 2011, I was, I was having a lot of just like stomach cramping. I was, I exercised a lot. So sure. What, What city were you in? I was in, I was actually in Boston. I had been, um, I spent, uh, I was in Hong Kong working at the Mandan Oriental Hotel. I transferred to the Boston property and I was, again, I was, you know, I was going to the gym pretty often, but I was just having this, these really severe stomach cramps and there was no, no vomit or any other symptoms, but my stomach acid was super high and it was kind of, kind of just like finding out what happened. And I remember one weekend, uh, in June, I went to Burlington, Vermont to go to a Herbie Hancock. Herbie Hancock was, uh, headlining the jazz festival in Burlington. Okay. And without oversharing, I, I never made it to the show. I, my body let me know that I needed to, to seek medical help. I was vomiting and there was a little bit of blood in it. And it was just, it was, it was bad news. And, um, and I hadn't been drinking or anything, nothing. I was totally sober. Yeah. 
and I went and the doctor was like, listen, we need to, we, we think this might be Crohn's disease. We want to do a colonoscopy. Can you come back in three days? Yeah. And they gave me this, you know, disgusting prep stuff. I don't know if you've ever had one, but it's a uh, something, right? Less than, yeah, it's less than desirable uh, process. Um, and so anyway, I went in and had one and they were like, yeah, you, you have chronic Crohn's disease. Like we need to get you on some autoimmune medication, like immediately, like, how have you been doing this? And I'm like, listen, I've just been, t- I've just been, I don't know, right? Like I've just been not ignoring my body, but I didn't really understand. I didn't know what Crohn's was, to be honest with you. I, did, I had no, I had no concept. There wasn't, I didn't know anyone that had it. I mean, my dad's, my dad had ulcerative colitis, but it had been under control for a long time. So um, it wasn't a surprise that there was an autoimmune disease, you know, in my intestinal, you know, in, in, in my gut. But um, needless to say, I started on some medications and the side effects were just, they're awful. They're really, some of the side effects in these medications, I mean, you see these commercials with someone like ambiguously mountain biking and then it's like, hey, you might get tuberculosis or something. Like what? You know, it's not, that's not how medicine should be. So what are the solutions out there? Well, there's, I mean, there's two schools of thought. One is that it's diet and stress related and one is that it's hereditary. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the bottom line here, and I think the overall message is that there's not enough data on it. So that's one reason why we're doing what we're doing. Um, because what, you know, when you seek, when you, when you find out, it's like, what do you do, right? You go to, you go to WebMD, you go to, you go to Google, you go to, um, you know, anything you can find, right? You're, you're, you're reading things and they're telling you things and you're reading uh, people's um, confessions or, 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 or symptoms. And uh, ultimately, those people aren't you, right? Like you have to figure out what works for you. And I think that's really, again, part of this tying everything in is that we basically, I, I went through multiple medications to where I ended up on a drug called Remicade. Remicade was originally designed, it was the first chemotherapy drug. Okay. Um, it's, it, it kills lots of bad things. It kills lots of good things. Yeah. When you sign up for it, you have to sign a waiver that if you develop tuberculosis, they can't be held responsible. Mm. And that was a moment where I was like, who has had tuberculosis since like the twenties? Like what, <laughs> right? Like what, yeah, like this can't be one thing for the other. Yeah. Like with all the technology, we can get people on the moon. We can, this can't be like the solution, right? Like I come on. So I'm sitting in these rooms. I'm 31, 32. I'm pretty fit, pretty healthy. Otherwise I'm sitting in these rooms every eight weeks in the hospital, three hours at a time, right. taking 400 milligrams of some drug that's possibly going to give me tuberculosis sitting next to people that are dying literally in their 60s and 70s. I'm, I'm the youngest person there by a good 20 years. And my cousins, um, really, my cousin Justin and my cousin Freya and my cousin Jesse, all very intelligent people that live in the Minneapolis area, really started to just help. You know, I wasn't even asking and they were like, hey, read this study. Hey, check this out. My cousin Justin in particular yeah. was like, hey, have you, have you tried like resetting your gut health? Have you tried you know, an elimination diet. I'm like, man, I'm a chef. It's really challenging to like, yeah, hard not to eat. Right? Yeah. It's hard not to eat, but also to like really evaluate, like how can you de-stress as a chef? Like you can do it on your day off. Sure. But I mean, to really track data and see how foods make you feel, it's, it's, it's tough. So, um, he started to push a lot of, uh, cannabis articles my way and just say, Hey, check this out. What do you think? Blah, blah, blah. And so I, I went to my doctor here, got a medical card. It's probably like three years ago got a medical card and, um, and, and excuse me, at this time I'm back in Boston. I lived in Chicago in between and worked in a few restaurants and now I'm, I'm back in, in Boston and I go back to the same hospital where I was diagnosed, Beth Israel. And I was like, Hey, like, what do you, what do you hear from your other Crohn's patients about, about cannabis? Like, is there, is there any kind of like sponsored, you know, anything from the hospital? Yeah. And he's like, no, there's the hospitals can't sponsor that. Are you crazy? And I'm like, well, I mean, okay. So what are my options? He's like, well, 
you know, legally I, I can't really do anything for you except communicate that I do have some patients that have found relief for some of their symptoms from using cannabis. And I was like, cool. Went, went online, applied for a medical card, started going to dispensaries and just, again, the food, it, it wasn't food. It's not food. It's, it's a cookie. It's a brownie. It's a chocolate. And even then it's like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm the kind of person and I realize not everyone shares my food values, but like, I want to know where that chocolate came from. I want to know, yeah, are we supporting Mars, Hershey's and all these other like colonial, just terrible companies, or are we actually like sourcing properly? And, and so none of that existed. And it's like, all right, like I spend my career in a place where we are seeking out the best of the best of the best of the best, which could be again, not expensive or whatever, just like quality processes, quality people, artisanal, whatever. And none of that exists. And it's like, cool. Like I don't want to eat any of this stuff. I don't like not for the food purpose of it. I'm just eating it simply like a transactional cannabis, you know, edible. And I think, you know, the, the, the gummies, the everything there's, there's different reasons to have them. I get it. Like some of them are discreet and you know, if you have kids or you don't want to like smoke or stink or whatever, but it helps. I understand the concept, but I still think we can get rid of high fructose corn syrup. I still think we can get rid of artificial coloring. I still think we can conceptually keep what, what some of the things that exist, but even then, none of these things are in the savory market. There's nothing that, you know, there's some grapeseed oil or some olive oil, but if you heat grapeseed oil past a certain point, you, you, you start to, you know, degrade this protein process, uh, protein chain, and then it's not really giving you, you don't really know actually what the effectiveness is. So ultimately just saw a huge gap uh, in, in the edible market and we're doing our best to, to start, start filling it. So for people out there, how, how do you, how do you start into this? So, you know, Ooh, that's a, yeah. Uh, you gotta <laughs> ask your spouse or partner <laughs> and make sure they're okay. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you, you know, any startup is, is a lot of work. You really, I always use a, a, a um, metaphor similar to just like a wave pool. And, and I know it might sound silly, but it takes a ton of energy to start pushing waves out there. You have to not only apply, not only have financing, not only depending on what state you're in, you know, Massachusetts, though it's known for innovative medical research, innovative continuing education, it is not known for innovative policy. And um, it's, it's still very, very, very slow moving. And to be fair, it's not all on the Cannabis Control Commission. A lot of it comes from how they get funding and their resources. So I'm, 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 I like to be, I know that they're doing their best. I, I do think they can do more, but that's a whole other conversation. But, um, you know, applying for this and getting started is really, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of reading. It's a lot of patience. Um, we were required to have a lease um, from a space in hand to even apply. Meaning, you know, they, they told us, they were like, well, you don't have to sign it. You don't have to start paying for it. And I was like, well, if I don't, this landlord's going to sign someone else. So like, what the, what's the, like, what do you mean? Like the, and, and this is kind of, again, not to off, go off track, but like, that's part of this process where it's ridiculous, where it's like, okay, well, we technically don't have to pay for it, but no landlord is going to let some space sit vac vacant for now. We're in our 14th month of holding a lease and yeah. we still don't have our final permit. We're just waiting on our last little piece. We've gone through the process, but so you, you have to have enough funding to pay for a lease of a commercial space for 14 months. And who, and who has that, right? Like you still have to have a side gig to be able to pay your bills. Who can do that? You know, it's just, it, it really takes a ton. So I think if you, you know, if you're committed, you'll figure it out. Um, but again, it's kind of comes back to that original concept coming from, from my time with Ruben Garcia is like, you, you got to make it happen. You got to push, you got to wake up early. You got to, I'm, I'm working 
you know, another gig basically I'm working two full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a lot, but I think, you know, my friends and family, parents, coworkers, you know, people that, that, um, know what I've gone through, know the surgeries I've had, you know, I've woken up in a few colonoscopies, which is a horrible experience and really just the pain and, and discomfort, they, they support it. So I'm fortunate to be surrounded by people like that. And, and luckily, you know, our, my, my, my time in restaurants and the people I've, I've been able to work for and work with have, we've been able to achieve, you know, a few accolades. So luckily I think when people hear what we're doing and then they Google us, they can find multiple articles that say, we do great work. We have great customer service. You know, this is new for us. Sure. But if you look at the pattern of how we've treated customers throughout the last, you know, 19 years of our career, you, you can make a safe bet that we're going to do high quality stuff still. Got it. Okay. So what about the, let's talk about the, um, R and D behind, um, the ice cream and everything else. How, how did you kind of, um, plan how you want to attack the product and, and build it? Sure. So the, the initial concept, um, I think a lot of people think we were just trying to find something stoner ish, right? Like late night ice cream, but we were actually looking for energy and fat gives you nine kilocalories of energy per gram. Protein gives you four, um, and, and, and carbohydrates give you four. So protein, uh, excuse me, fat literally gives you twice the amount of energy as these other two food groups. And that's, that's a big start because a lot of the times when I would get my infusions, my medication, the next three or four mornings were really hard to get out of bed. They were really hard to wake up. It was really hard to get my day started. And, you know, people were starting, I I talked to people and they were like, oh, we make like butter coffee and we're putting fat into, you know, our, our, our bullet coffees or whatever in the morning. And I'm like, great. You know, that's, that's cool for a while, but like how, how many sticks of butter do you really want to consume in the morning? Right. Like, like, I mean, just, you, it might sound good for two weeks, but honestly, once you go through it, I mean, it's, you have to mix it up. You have to find a different solution. If I could open my freezer, eat a fresh mint chocolate chip, some delicious crafted ice cream, take two scoops and then be on my way. For me, that was a better option. That was a better scenario. So I was looking for what products I had in my house currently, or what I could add that would fit in what I eat on a daily basis that had high energy and grass fed dairy was, was the best thing. So I started to make some ice creams and, you know, as, as most people know, the original kind of edibles were right. Cannabis butter, you're making brownies, you're making cookies, you're making things that have a decent amount of fat. And, and that's kind of along the same lines, you know, a little, little kind of, you know, few steps down the thought process, but ultimately we wanted to have something that promoted happiness. And I think, you know, even though lots of people eat ice cream emotionally, uh, I think in general, especially for the youth to, to, to adults, ice cream is, is treated as a reward. It's treated as a, it's a treat. It's a, it's something positive. So if we can make something positive that gives you something positive with really high quality ingredients, additionally with high quality cannabis, and, and then take it a few steps further and say, okay, well, let's say Mario's, you know, 35 years old, he's got Crohn's disease. He's having trouble waking up in the morning. He probably needs a sativa or something that's going to help him, you know, get, get kickstarted. You put that with all these other elements I, I challenge you to find something that's better for you to start your day. That's not that, that, that works with your day that you can, you can take five minutes, eat, and then go on your way. Yeah, so that's, that's really how we, yeah, how we narrowed it down. Okay. And then, you know, for people out there who are kind of in the same stage as you or even earlier stages of launching a, a product and service, um, especially in the food and cannabis space on the, on, on the investment end. So what's the messaging sure. like, or what do you suggest messaging should be? where people are looking for funding, people are looking to, to grow the brand or connect, what's kind of the right strategy? Is it 
a we're a cannabis company doing this or we are a food company doing this what's what's yeah i mean i think it i think it really depends on the product but i think you have to take even if we can backtrack a few steps you really have to know yourself and know what you're willing to give up i think in any company food or not cannabis or not you you, you know you have to be you have to look for investors that share the same vision or at least as close as you can find to it you know, and if you have a new concept, especially like cannabis, and, and as you know, there's so many people coming in from many different industries coming into this. So it's really challenging to say that you have to find someone specific. You don't. You have to find people that are thoughtful, caring, you know, have a good track record. You know, my, my I think, bottom line advice is be careful. Um, be, be careful what you're sharing. Protect your IP. Um, file a trademark. It's not complicated. It, it, it's intimidating, but it's not complicated. You call the federal trademark office. They're very, very, very sweet people, shockingly, um, and 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 can help you get yourself established so that no matter what, again, you're protecting your IP, protecting your brand. I think speaking, you know, looking for funding. I think for me personally, you know, I, we are trying to prevent the Pepsi's, the Coca Colas, the um, I wouldn't say big brands necessarily because there are some big brands that I I do purchase their products because I believe in what they do. Um, that are trying to get into the cannabis space. But I think you really have to start at the top and then go down small, right? There's tons of states, tons of meetups, tons of groups, tons of speaking events where you can go hear what people are doing and how they're, how they're fundraising. But ultimately, you have to set aside whether it's equity, whether it's you know, creative control, whatever your, your product may be. You have, to, you have to make a decision before you get into a conversation and know what you're willing to give up and what you're not. And I think that will help an investor know what their options are. You know, it, it's, it's, I think people get into conversations where they're excited. They've been waiting for so long. They've had a lease for 14 months and they're like, man, I can't put any of my, my savings into this. And they're like, screw it, let's take it. And then six months later, they're like, oh my God, that was a terrible decision. You know, cause there's multiple people here in Massachusetts that haven't even made it through, through the waiting period because financially it's just too much. Yeah. They've had, they've had to close shop and that, and that's a, I mean, a symptom of a different, well, partially different issue, but um, I think ultimately fundraising, you have to be, you have to be confident. You have to go in, not arrogant, but you have to be confident. You have to know that you've put the work in and you, and you have to put the work in. You have to know that you've done this, but you know, your strengths and know your, your weaknesses because a lot of these investors, they don't have intangible benefits. They're not, they're not, they're just going to give you money. And then they're going to come back to you and, you know, depending on your terms in 12 months and say, Hey, where's this? What's this? Yeah. So I think, you know, it takes a lot of research to really find someone that can, you know, leverage, who knows, supply chain distribution, packaging, uh, for us, refrigerated transportation, you know, maybe they have experience in the CPG world. Maybe, uh, they've taken brands to market. Maybe, I mean, you, you, again, you really have to do the, put the time in and, and, and seek those people out. So let's talk about your product line and, and the flavors and everything that you're developing right now. What are you most excited about? How have you, how have you kind of built your, your product line right now? Sure. I mean, we're most excited about finally getting on shelves. I think we've been, you know, we do tons of private events uh, and, and the feedback has been wonderful and food and wine, you know, put us in their January issues. We're very thankful to be a part of it. And a lot of that comes from, you know, Kitchen Toke, a brand in Chicago and Jolene Rivera. And she's been, I mean, Jolene last week. Yeah, I can't I can't say enough kind things about her and Frank and, and Mike Sula and all the guys that are that are on her all the people that are on her team. Um, I think ultimately, you know, we are treating this like we're going to have three three flavors that are going to be independent of season. Right. So a mint chocolate chip, a chocolate chip cookie dough and a dark chocolate truffle, something that can be, um, excuse me, Costa Rican vanilla, dark chocolate truffle 
chocolate chip cookie dough. So we want to have flavors that no matter summer, winter, they're, they're, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be in. And then on top of that, we are really focused on limited time offerings. So we've partnered with two farms close to where I live in, in Framingham uh, that grow amazing tomatoes. And we're going to do a tomato sorbet in, you know, August and September when tomatoes are perfectly ripe. So we're partnering and that's it. And when they're not, we're not going to use them, right? We're not over committing. We're doing what I would call small batch. Uh, and really focused, you know, flavors. So we're really seeking out um, what kinds of produce works in sorbets or ice creams, what kind of um, waste we, we, you know, what we end up with, because that's a big part of our business is trying to minimize waste. Um, and that's, I mean, not just, I mean that not just from what we're physically producing, but let's say this tomato farmer you know, has some blemished tomatoes that he can't sell to Whole Foods. Well, well, what's he actually going to get per bushel? What, who's he selling it to? What are his options? And how quick is that turnaround? Because farmers are getting, getting screwed in lots of different ways in our country. And so we're trying to, we're trying to bring different people into the fold that, as, as I keep, you know, consistently saying the message is, is quality. Um, so we're seeking those out and trying to do, you know, a butternut squash ice cream in, in November or a sweet potato in December and, and kind of keep those, those things rolling. And what's unique is that, you know, butternut squash, for example, the starch that's in the squash, you don't need any stabilizers. You don't need any of these things that most people are putting in their products, right? Like you can literally serve vegetable ice cream and people are like, holy shit. And it's like, yeah, then we go to Vermont and we get high quality maple syrup. My friend Nick has a company called Cask Force yeah. and, and he's doing that process. You know, he's, he's got quality stuff. We combine the two and it's like, oh my God, I've never, I've never had a butternut squash ice cream. It's like, well, here you go. Here you so go. it's, it's real of just people. We just want people to know ultimately that, that, that we're putting a lot of thought behind this. It's not that we're better. It's not that we're, and I mean that better, like arrogantly, it's just more that like, Hey, we love food. We want to dive deep in this. Yeah. Cannabis helps us in multiple facets of our life. And a lot of people that we know and care about, we think it can do the same for yours. So let's, let's, let's get it going. And then what's the, uh, the plan for, for growth? Um, you know, sure. I know you guys do events and, and launch some new flavors. So what's, what's your plan for growth? Growth is, growth is unique as you can't cross state lines with cannabis at this stage. Um, maybe if Bernie gets elected, that'll change, but we'll see. Um, I think, you know, ultimately we have, we have some options that I'm, I'm not at liberty to share, um, from a scale perspective of going state to state, but, um, that's, that's absolutely part of our weekly meetings is really focusing on what is the, you know, are there contract manufacturers available? Can we send an ice cream mix to somewhere and, and add cannabis on site? What, what are our options? So, um, again, I'm, I'm not at liberty to share what our, uh, what our path is right now from just kind of an IP perspective, but, um, we've got two options. One we are in love with one we're, we're okay with, but, uh, we're trying to find, you know, multiple avenues. Cool. So let's take a quick little break. And then when we come back, let's talk as far as like, you know, future of cloud creamery, if there's going to be some spinoffs and whatnot, and also we'll have some closing, um, closing questions. Great. Welcome back to Bootleg Avocado. We're talking with David Yusef Zadeh uh, from Cloud Creamery. So, David, where yes, yes. is Cloud Creamery going to be in in five years? Are you are you looking to build this or have some spinoffs? What's kind of the, the future like? Or you also yourself, you know? Sure. So we are. Um... We are, we've just built our parent company, Cloud Kitchen, or I should say just filed for Cloud Kitchen because we, we even though, you know, right now is ice cream and sorbets, that's our, that's our flagship product. We are working on lots of savory items 
uh, that will not fall under cloud creamery per se. Um, so that's, that's going to step one for us. We, we really, I, I think the way that the way that people are purchasing cannabis right now is very unique. I think these dispensaries are taking advantage of people, frankly. Um, a lot of them are overcharging. A lot of them are, um, not always a hundred percent on what they say is in these products. So it's, it's really tough for people because you go into this, like, let's say you go into a grocery store and you want to buy X, or maybe, maybe you don't know what you want for dinner, right? Maybe you're going to a dispensary and you don't know what you want. You know, you're, you're new or you're just inexperienced or you're looking for something different. It's not like you can walk around and like smell things and try things and, and, and really, you know, turn a package around, you know, all the cannabis is behind the shelf, right? There are a couple of dispensaries like MedMed in California, you know, where you can smell stuff on the table, but even then, those things are stale because they've been open so many times. It doesn't really give you the full terpene profile that you, that you want. Um, so for us, you know, curating that experience is, is a big part of what we want to do. So even though we are making food, that's our tangible product that's on the shelf, we are offering some consulting advice on, you know, frankly, examining how, how people purchase food and what, not just, you know, what the packages look like. Cause again, a lot of this stuff is behind the counter. But what does that menu read? What are the buzzwords? What are the trigger words? And again, this is, you know, from our experience from writing menus, we've cooked for thousands, I don't know how many people, quite a few people throughout the year. And we've written lots of menus and lots of dishes and we've been edited and edited and edited. And so we want to bring that into the dispensary because right now people are so categorically confused on what they actually need and what they actually want. So that's, that's part of what we want to do. Cloud kitchen, kind of some consulting, but ultimately my, my personal kind of just selfish goal is to be the trusted brand that's in hospitals. So if I go in for an operation, I do not want morphine. I do not want an opioid. I do not want a Percocet, any kind of pill. I would prefer to have a cannabis option. Right now, that's not available. You can bring certain things in. It's, not, it's, it's, it's definitely frowned upon. Um, and I you know, have the privilege of speaking to lots of medical professionals. I'm currently part of a study at Mass General. Uh, examining cannabis edibles on, on your brain activity. So I'm always doing my best to hear what they're saying and be a part of the conversations that they are having in the medical field because that's not my forte. Um, but ultimately, we want to be that brand, that trusted you know, option for, for whether it's your, you know, your kid going in to get his tonsils taken out or wisdom teeth taken out or whatever it may be because as, as we've seen, you know, I've lost 10 plus, 15 plus friends to opioids uh, and where I grew up in the country. My brothers have lost, my brother Adam has lost probably triple that um you know a lot of them got started from being 12 13 14 15 years old having a sports injury getting pills and and that's and that's common and so if we can if we can really you know go back and and examine what those options are and, and let me be clear i'm not saying we have pre-rolled joints for these 12 year olds that are coming out of a surgery i'm saying that there can be a low dose specifically geared towards recovery okay. as we're seeing in a lot of athletes right now uh that's that's where i would that's my that's a dream that's a that is a goal A very, if I, if we can do that, I'll, 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 I'll die happy. Well, you know, if there's no money in it, then they're not going to do it. So. Exactly. Well, that's the other part is like the political pharmaceutical, you know, disgusting side of these things and what we're battling. It's uh, it's tough. Right, right. Okay. So we have some quick fire questions. Um, sure. for you. So let's start with, um, what are bad recommendations that you hear within like the industry? constantly? I think bad recommendations, you know, I, I think there's lots of, um, you know, processes, whether it's butane, ethanol, um, CO2, these hydrocarbon processes. I think people ultimately need to understand that, you know, there is no way to purge 100% of butane out of a, out of a cannabis product. 
there are acceptable parts per million in, in every state. And, and, and to be fair, you know, our ad bills or certain things are, are extracted in these processes. So we're already consuming these things. It doesn't mean we should continue, but people have, whether they're ignorant or, or just don't care, we're already consuming these products. So it's not that big of a difference. However, there are some people, you know, there's some guys in Rhode Island, there's some guys in Portland, Maine that are doing, you know, uh, solventless processes. And I think that is really what we need to strive for. So I think, you know, the vaping uh, kind of ban that a lot of people, you know, fell into, unfortunately, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I feel terrible for these families and these people, but I mean, if you go on the black market and buy some moonshine and it makes you sick, I mean, that's on you with all due respect. Like you, you, you can't just, you know, it's, 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 you have to be a thoughtful consumer. So um, a lot of those issues, you know, Massachusetts banned vaping. It's like, wait a second, guys, like we're, we're, we're saying if it's not tested, you know, that it needs to be banned. So um, I'd say really bad advice is more of just going to products that you really have to dig beneath the surface level and see how they're, how they're processed, how they're created, mm -hmm. understand what's in them. So, okay. What's um, in the past, like, I would say, you know, year or two years or so, what's kind of the, one of the best investments you've made? Um, it could be a, an item. It could be like uh, money, uh, sorry, time or something else, anything that's kind of really changed, um, you know, how you kind of run your, your life. Sure. Um, I think really, <clears throat> excuse me, putting, putting an investment just mentally into listening, just to being a better listener, mm -hmm. I think. And I don't mean just words. I mean, actually like reading information for what's in there, not coming in with a preconceived notion and then determining what I actually want to hear or what I want to tell myself, you know, really trying to listen. I think as I know, it's very tough for people to tell me that they're anti-cannabis. It's like, great. Well, it's what I use to live on a daily basis. So I appreciate that you don't have my welfare in, in your mind. And now I know that that's not necessarily what they're saying, but when I take a step back and hear what other people are telling me works for them, it's really, it's valuable to create products that can, that can assist them. Is there anyone right now that you guys, uh, that you kind of emulate um, or kind of really, you know, follow a lot that you kind of, you know, try and, work within your 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 life there are many um i think for me for me personally you know i have, I have two business partners uh and they're wonderful i think for for just selfishly answering um you know i mine mine come from different segments i think i'm a big i'm a huge nine inch nails fan so for me watching someone like trent Reznor be able to, to create music year after year after year reinvent himself he's won oscars he's doing scores he's really he's figuring out that even though he has a message and a voice, he's really trying to find other people that can complement his skill set, you know, and, and, and he can complement theirs and do really exciting projects that he couldn't do on his own. So for me, I'm more seeking people like yourself and Jolene and other people that use cannabis in one fashion or another that believe in it that are, again, in media or something that we're not in, you know, and fortunately for us, we cook and a lot of people don't. So um, I think we're really striving for people that, that, there's mutual beneficial, you know, relationships that, that, that can be made. So um, we're constantly looking at, I think, you know, large, largely, largely, I would say innovators, people that are themselves, people that are creative. Um, I don't know, you know, there's not with respect, I, I don't want to say there's not any in the cannabis space. There's not a ton in our local market here in Massachusetts. Um, I think there's a gentleman named Lauren Gertner who's in, who's in Toronto he's, he's got a, a group called by ministry, this dinner series there. I mean, if you look at their website, you'll be impressed. It's just, 
everything they touch. His son is Alan Gertner, who founded Tokyo Smoke. Um, but Lauren Gertner is just, I mean, that guy's like, he's a ninja. He's like, he does just, just amazing stuff. Well, naturally, as, as, as chef, like we, that's what we do. We, we, we test, we invent, we try things out and then kind of go back to the drawing board. It's, you know, like we have kind of the skills that it takes to, to take a product or ingredient yeah. and really, you know, find multiple ways of kind of doing it and find the most effective way of handling that ingredient. Right. Right. And that's kind of how we treat the cannabis here. It's like, we're looking at strain specific, you know, not, not just for benefits, but also flavor profiles of terpenes and figuring out how we can, we don't, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we, we infuse every course differently. We want to celebrate it. We're not here to just create distillate and, and have a, you know, flavorless, odorless um, sludge that goes into our edibles. We're looking to, to make a, you know, creamsicle ice cream with a sour tangy strain steeping it in a vanilla base and really letting the, the, the terps speak for themselves. Do itself, yeah. 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 Um, so when you're, last question, so when you get overwhelmed or kind of lost or whatnot, what's, what's kind of your, your release? How do you kind of get back to, to like a level? Um, I mean, there's a couple different ways. I'd say one massive way is, is, is taking a dab. Um, I have the Puffco Peak and I, I have some amazing concentrates from some guys out of, out of uh, Providence, Rhode Island. And I think for me, it's, their stuff is so flavorful and delicious that there's an ultimate appreciation for what I'm about to taste. I'm excited by it, but then I'm also just relieved from a, from a stress standpoint once I exhale. So um, that's definitely a big way for me. I think a lot of my stress shows its face in, in, in stomach cramping. And, and again, you know, cannabis is a, is a big relief. So taking a, taking a water hash, taking a solventless dab, knowing that I'm taking something delicious, pure and thoughtful, and it works for me is a, a pretty, pretty positive boost. Okay. So how can people get a hold of you? Um, what also are things that you're looking to get who, like who you want to connect to, you know? Sure. Yeah. So we, I mean, we're going to see Snoop Dogg on Monday. We're hoping to connect with him uh, just from a, from a selfish, you know, I grew up in the, in the, in the eighties and early nineties. So um, yeah, exactly. It's kind of just a box to check. Um, I mean, we're, you know, so like this year, for example, we're going, we'll be at South by Southwest. We're going to be a part of the Cannabis Edible Show in Chicago, August 4th. Um, we're going to be, you know, really kind of stepping into some different, we're, we're part of a, um, a, a festival that's taking place in Jamaica that's focused on wellness and yoga called Tomorrow Today. Uh-huh. And that's happening, uh, that's April 28th to May 3rd. That's been put on by some guys um, out of Toronto. Um, I think, you know, ultimately we're really trying to get out of the kind of just, just, we're trying, we're trying to reach different markets. We're trying to reach the wellness market. We want to connect with yoga professionals. We want to connect with them on their back pain, their joint pain, their foot pain, their, their diet, their, their health. You know, we want to talk to more people uh, in the Crohn's market. We are working with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of New England, trying to, you know, gather some data. We would love to speak to anyone that can help us put together some research around Crohn's and, and cannabis and really just offer support for just a well of information because there's again, frankly, not, not enough out there. Um, but yeah, we're, we're pretty open. I mean, I think the music festivals will be a big venue for us this summer, really just being backstage, talking to some of the artists, really communicating with, you know, a good chunk of them are cannabis consumers. So, um, not too many barriers to break down there, but, um, I think food experts, wellness experts, uh, wellness professionals, yoga professionals is really kind of our, our ultimate goal. 
Great. And then uh, email, how do people get a hold of you? I'd say Instagram is probably the best way to be honest with you. Yeah. yeah Instagram is a good platform. I think, you know, we are, we're, we're thankful for lots of messages and lots of kind words. Um, but there are occasions where, you know, we like to see who you are too and, and, and evaluate our response. Um, I think that, you know, lots of people, there were a couple of articles that came out a while ago and some people had some negative things to say. And I think they misunderstood who we are and what we were trying to do. But ultimately we're here to bring people up, not put people down. So, um, you know, we like to, to engage with anyone who, who feels like there's, you know, anything we can help with, anything we can help clarify, anything that, you know, um, if we can help them in their business in any way, we're, we're, we're always, uh, we're always open. And that's a cloud creamery, um, Instagram. Yeah. Um, so yeah, cloud creamery. Yeah. I'm just looking it up right now. Sure. Um, cool. Uh, I think that's it. So David, awesome. thanks for being on the, uh, the podcast and then you're also going to be at the bootleg avocado presents. We're also, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's look. Can we talk about that for, for 10 seconds? Well, tell me, I mean, I know we've got, uh, we've got some guys, kind of a mix of chefs that are going to be on there, right? Yeah, a mix of chefs. So our goal with Like Avocado is to bring together the, the cannabis industry with the food industry. Um, more particularly, you know, former chefs um, who have jumped into more innovative type of brands and products like yourself. Mm-hmm. And using cannabis as an ingredient in the right, uh, respectable, sustainable and healthier way. Sure. Um, so that's kind of the focus of bootleg avocado. Um, obviously David's going to be a panelist at this, uh, at this event. We'll also have other, um, sponsors, which are, ha- which do have cannabis, um, sorry, CBD infused products as well. So, uh, we got Brooklyn hemp, um, which they have a nice line of beverages. Also, um, you know, nailing down a few other sponsors as well. Awesome. So it'd be a good opportunity to kind of really um, bring together the professionals in kind of the food world who are very curious about cannabis. Right. Um, there'll be a lot of consultants, entrepreneurs, investors there and everything else. So it'll be a good opportunity to kind of bring that, that, that whole environment together for the first time in New York City or at least on the, on the East Coast. Right. And we'll kind of see where it goes from there. Very cool. Yeah, we're excited. Yeah. So, Dave, thanks very much. Um, I will see you in about a month. Um, All right. And then we'll, we'll chat a little bit more, okay? Sounds great. Thanks, right. Mario. Thanks, David. All right.